All right, Galatians chapter 4 is where we're picking up. Let me encourage you, if, you're, if you have a Bible, actually open it up, right? If you're doing it on a Bible app, great. If you don't have a Bible, join me. There's a Bible on this chair in front of you. And really, this is a place where we get to understand more or better and get more comfortable with our Bibles and understand where things are. And so if you're getting a Bible, if you're borrowing a Bible from the chair in front of you, it's on page 974. We've been in this series. We're looking at the four early letters of Paul. Now, Paul, we saw on Easter Sunday, we watched as Saul of Tarsus, this persecutor of Christianity, comes to faith. And so we compared him to a modern-day Osama bin Laden, who is zealous for his own faith and persecuting the church. Though he is zealous, he is zealously wrong, right? And so Saul of Tarsus, like that, is persecuting the church. And in the midst of this, out in the middle of a desert road, from one city to another, on his way towards Damascus, God, Jesus, literally speaks from heaven, blinds Saul, speaks out to him. Saul says, who are you, Lord? He says, I'm Jesus, who you're persecuting. You can imagine that changes your plans for the day, right? Everything Saul thought beforehand is now junked, right? It's scrapped. Whole new set of truths. Now, uh-oh, I got to rethink this. And so he's led by his friends into Damascus, where a man that day who's also praying is also spoken to by Jesus, but far less catastrophically, and is told, listen, he's going to come in here, you're going to pray for him, he's going to be healed, he's going to get his vision back, and you're going to teach him about the faith. And so really Saul spends, or now Saul becomes Paul, right? Be, spends about three years being discipled and really being raised up by the church. After that, he goes back into Jerusalem, Jerusalem where the church was birthed and meets with the disciples there. And then he is sent by the church in Jerusalem with Barnabas to Antioch where a brand new church had been started, this one primarily of non-Jewish people. And that's a first. Antioch becomes the place where the church pivots from primarily Jewish disciples that follow Jesus to non-Jewish disciples. And it's from there that Paul goes out and he does this kind of church planting journey as he crosses over a body of water and goes through some different places. And then as he's done, he circles back and he goes back through all those different cities. And part of that is in southern Galatia. Later in the book of Acts, he also goes through northern Galatia, where he has some physical troubles. And so he has this relationship, this relationship with the church in Galatia. And so one of the earliest letters that he writes is to them. And he is writing with a purpose of establishing the gospel. Now, if you're new to generations, this is really important to us. The gospel is not the thing that introduces you to God. Not just that. Let me say it that way. It's not just the thing that gets you into a relationship with God, but rather it is that plus it is the very power that keeps us in relationship with God and the very hope we have that one day when we die or when Jesus returns or whatever, when we get there, that when we stand before God, that we will do so and it will be well. So the gospel is the very work of Christ applied to us, and it is both the beginning, the middle, and the end of our faith, if you will. And so he is embedding this gospel in the church, 
And after he had left Galatia, there was this group of people that have come in to distort the gospel. Right? We see these kind of things happen all the time. We see them on social media. We see people handing out tracts in different places sometimes, and they're just editing, adding or subtracting truth from the gospel. And in this case, they're adding Jewish religious law, like dietary law or covenant circumcision, or they're adding to Christianity, saying that it's not enough that Jesus died. It's not enough that he resurrected from the grave. It's not enough for you to live with the spirit of Christ inside of you. You also need this. And so he's been teaching them and establishing and building in the gospel to this church. And so we now, 2,000 years later, hear this. And we ask the questions, okay, where do we see this in our lives? So here's an idea today. Here's a main idea. Maturity and faith. Today, Paul calls the Galatian church to go to the next step of faith. Maturing as a believer is not just intellectual or even behavioral, but transformational. So right now, we're in this season of schools ending and graduation starting, right? Some are graduating on and moving on into high school. Some are graduating high school, moving on into college, right? And, and so there's this idea of maturing to the next step. Now, it isn't just high school. It, it, I mean, the, the graduation isn't just intellectual, right? One of the things we saw with COVID is that there is a social maturing that happens in these different ages, right? You're maturing beyond high school. You're maturing beyond middle school, college, whatever it is. Maturing in our faith is like that. It's not memorizing more stuff, it's not just fixing more things, it's being transformed. It's, it's maturing in all those ways like we see in every other area of life, done differently maybe. But maturing is what he's looking at. So he's been talking about no other gospel. Don't add to the gospel, don't take away from the gospel. You can't make the gospel better. That's a summary, that's his message, right? Now he's saying it's time to continue, move forward in the gospel. So Galatians 4, starting in verse 1. He says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, this is right on the heels of what Jana just read, right? I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he's the owner of everything. But he's under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. So now Paul is going to use an example. His example is going to be the similarities between a son or a daughter as an heir and a servant who lives in the home. So I want you to imagine a really wealthy family. If this is you, I'd like to get to know you better. But <laughs> imagine this really wealthy family who has a live-in maid or something, and, and you have a son, and the maid has a son, right? Or whoever lives there, right? And you get, but they're like the same age. And I think of some movies, and you kind of see them parallel and grow up together. But there's a very big difference. This one is the heir to all things. Right, and this one is trying to kind of rise above the status of this family maybe someday. But when they're two, when they're one, when they're three, when they're five, really there's no distinction. That's what Paul is saying. Like when you're young, there's really no difference between being an heir and being a slave or a servant, right? Slavery in this setting is different than like American history slavery. Like it's, it's a bit different, although there's some similarities. So servanthood, slavery, think between those two. He says there's really no difference when you're young. Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. 
right? So he says, listen, the, the law and the world enslaved us when we were young or before Jesus. Like, this is what happened. And so kind of think like children again. I'm going to play this metaphor out a little further. So just like kids begin with limitations, right? Infants don't have much freedoms, right? We got, by the way, I want to say thank you to Alex, right? Alex has led us. By the way, if we got to figure out, we're going to vote at the end of service, like which Alex has to change his name. Just <laughs> less confusing. So Alex said they have baby twins, Alex and, and, and Becky, brand new twin babies. Baby twins, twin, ba whatever, little people, right? <laughs> which is really cool. They don't have a whole lot of freedom. Like I've never seen them outside that stroller. Not a whole lot of freedom. I'm sure they're great parents, by the way. <laughs> they don't keep them there. Toddlers, like we give them space to run around, but not too much space, right? We don't want them to run outside. We don't want them to run out onto the street or onto the freeway, but we give them some space, right? Little kids, you know, maybe they get to go outside now and play. They've got some things that go, but you don't, you don't get to go out on the street, or you can't go past this house and this house, and then as you get more mature, maybe you're riding a bike and you get, you get boundaries. Okay, you can go out in the street now, you can go down the street, you can go over there. You gotta be home when the street lights come on. I know that was the big governing principle when I was a little kid, right? When you're 16, maybe you get a license. You get to drive and clearly your boundaries move beyond your neighborhood. 18, you're gonna go off to college and Maybe you're going to drive up there and live there, and your life is going to be defined by new things. And really, now you're 18. You're going to college. You're kind of in charge, right? And so as we mature, as we grow, things change. Now, can you be 18 and super immature? Yes, right? Can you be younger and more mature? Sure. So it's not just chronology, it's not just time, but there's an idea of maturing built in there. Verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. So the lack of maturity that he's speaking to the church about is that these false teachers are coming in and they're adding to the gospel and they're buying in. And the particular thing that they're adding in is rules that scripture doesn't give them. Rules that would overtake the freedom we find in Christ. And we'll talk more about that in a minute. But he says, then you become a slave to the law. He says, but Jesus came at the right time, fulfilled the law, to save you, to redeem you. So the gospel, when we talk, we always talk about that God created you and loves you. And if you've never heard that before, let me say it again. God loves you. He designed you. He made you. He knows how you work better than you know. He knows how we're to function. And we kind of call that at Generations, we're designed to be worshipers of God. And that doesn't mean just singers, which is great. And you guys did, I'll agree, you guys sounded great this morning. You guys just like to worship. You like to sing. But it's not just that. It means in your life, you bring glory to God. That's our design. Not that we bring glory to ourselves, but that we give glory to God. Now, we all know we've broken that. And that all of human history is riddled with the sin of trying to glorify ourselves and not God. So sin enters into human history and severs the relationship between us and God. As we try and give glory to ourselves, we try and make ourselves God and put ourselves on the throne. Only where God should be. Where only God should be. 
And so knowing that we live in this brokenness and that thousands of generations upon thousands and thousands of generations have come and keep adding sin on sin, that's why we have the world we live in. That's why it's not such a perfect place to live. But for God's grace, it still has good in it and still has his good in it. But knowing, hey, they'll never earn their way back. They'll never achieve what I've called them to do because they're broken. They're born broken. He says, so instead of having them come to me, I'm going to go to them. And so it says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Right? That Jesus, God, became human flesh. The son of God. God himself became human. And he lived under the law, fulfilling it. Keeping the law, which you and I cannot do. You and I have not done. In fact, not only cannot, but don't even try to, or don't even, we choose not to. Right? And as Christians, we know, we should know, how much we choose not to. We should start with us, not somebody sitting next to us or across the room or down the street. We know we don't measure up. So Jesus came and Jesus measured up on our behalf and then took our place by dying on a cross, paid the penalty for our sin, gave his life so that we could have new life. As he is laid in the ground, he covers our sin, he is resurrected from the grave to give us new life. That's the gospel. He ascends back to heaven. He says, it's better that I go away so that I can give you the help or the Holy Spirit, that I can put my spirit in you, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead, gets to live in us as believers. Paul writes to the church in Rome here, chapter 8, he says, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Listen to that. Jesus fulfilled the law, not your job. Does that mean you can do anything you want to do? No. You'll never be able to fulfill the law. He says, so then, in order that, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that the Spirit of Jesus lives in us, that he fulfilled the requirements, so that we could walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit, that we could learn to live in a new way, back to that maturity idea, that we could grow and mature and become more mature in our faith by the Spirit in us. So Paul is telling them, listen, it's not the law, it's not this. I want to read that again. But when the fullness of time had come, verse 4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, meaning humanity, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Sons here is the plural for like children, right? That you become sons and daughters of God through Christ. And this image is given to us of adoption. Ephesians says it like this. In love, God predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has blessed us in the beloved, meaning Jesus. That God adopted you, right? That the work being done that Jesus accomplished God adopted you. Back in Romans 8, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Again, sons and daughters here. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba's like Daddy. It's personal. It's close. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. So we're back in this story. You can be a child or you can be a slave. You can be an heir to all things or you can keep living under servanthood, under slavery. 
And he's calling us to mature out of this. He says, listen, when you're young, it looks a lot alike. We're back to that two-year-old heir and that two-year-old servant, right? It looks a lot alike because you haven't matured beyond that yet. He said, Paul says to the church, now it's, be it's time to move beyond this. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, right? Listen, he has sent his spirit inside of you, crying, Abba, Father, the spirit, right? We've been talking a lot about this, that the promise of baptism is the spirit of God inside of you, that something changes, that God empowers you to live in a unique and a new way, his empowerment in you. Not to go try harder to fulfill laws you can't keep anyways. Or to follow a system that was only there to bring us to Jesus anyways. But rather to live a transformed and renewed and matured life in faith. He says, because you are sons, God the Father, I love that, has sent the Holy Spirit, his Son, to, of his Son, Jesus, into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, right? This Trinitarian language. Verse 7, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son or a daughter, then an heir through God, you are no longer a slave. You've been adopted out of the world into the kingdom of Christ. Because Jesus paid the price. Because Jesus did the work. Because Jesus achieved sonship or daughtership on your behalf. Not because you've done anything. You, chosen by God, adopted by God, achieve that sonship or, or, or daughtership through the work of Christ, applied to you and given to you by the very Spirit of God. So the Trinity of work. Now, so just pop quiz for those of you that graduated and did Reformed Doctrine. So the economic Trinity, there's two of them. They know who they are. All right. And neither one of them know the answer. So the economic Trinity, God at work, Right? What does God do? What is this trinity? It's hard to understand. Like, what does God do? So here it is. God ordained the gospel before time began. God sent Jesus to accomplish the work and gives us the Holy Spirit to apply to our lives, making us children of God, the trinity at work in you. That God ordained before the beginning of time that you would be his son or daughter. There's beauty in that. I didn't look like it. I look like a bad choice in the beginning, for sure. Probably still look like a bad choice, but better. We'll get there one day, right? And so because of that decision, because of God's ordaining this, because of God's choice, he then sends Jesus to accomplish that for us. Again, because we can't, because we'll never measure up. That doesn't mean we, we settle for immaturity or we settle for sin. It just means we don't earn our position as children of God, that Jesus earned that, and that he gives that to us, and that is applied to us by the Spirit of God. The work that Jesus did to overcome this world is put inside of us that we might overcome this world. Slow as it may be, hard as it may be, we're empowered to live differently. I didn't get from there to here over the last 25 years. In my strength, promise, not that good. God is that good from way, way over here, right? The Trinity at work for you, in you. Verse 8, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. 
But now that you have come to know God, or rather be known by God, I love the emphasis of what God does, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? I spent about 15 years with a really bad drug addiction. Most of you know my story if you're new. I'm going to give it the short form. Addiction led to crime, crime growing up in the streets, gangs, things like that led to jails, led to prison. I came to faith in prison in 97. There's the short form. You're free to like make your excuse and go to the bathroom and leave now if you want so if you're new, right? So uh, <laughs> does explain some things, right? Been clean for 25 years now. Why would I? Oh, that's Jesus. That's not me. Believe it. Believe it. That's Jesus. But why would I go back to that? Why would I go back to being enslaved to addiction? To think my family is a gang. To think that prison was my future. Because I was perfectly good inside. I had accepted that. Why would I go back to that? I'd be crazy to go back to that. He says, why would you go back to slaves? Why do you want to be slaves once more? You know, we've begun telling stories of people in the church. I, I referenced that even when we are praying with, with Holly. We interviewed, I interviewed Holly, I don't know, a week or two ago. I think it came out a week ago. One of our elders is coming up uh, this week. I don't know how they just got released. Anyhow, there's a few of them. We're telling this stories of faith, right? We encourage you, go back and listen. We answer all kinds of hard questions from the Bible, uh, Rob, one of our elders, also abandoning us for Flagstaff, Arizona. But um, we spent time answering any question that students had, as hard a question as they could come up with. Hey, what do you want to know? We, we did that. And then we began to start telling the stories in the church because my story might resonate with you. It might not. It might push you away. Who knows? But then Holly's story is a very different story. And Amaudi, one of our elders, he tells a very different story. And Rob, we started with his story very different. Because all of us have stories of how grace transformed us. All of our stories have one thing in common, and it's Jesus. And so we're just putting these out there. We're just dropping these each one, you know, one each week. But you can hear the stories of the people sitting around you. And you can hear how God has worked in their lives. Just like you have stories, right? And we hope to get through. I'd love to tell them all. And get all these stories. And just as we grow and hear and are encouraged by one another. So verse 10, you observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid that I may have labored over you in vain. I may have, he says, I'm afraid I might have labored, I might have wasted my time. That's what he says. I'm afraid that my time spent there was a complete bust, that I labored over you in vain because you were so quickly going back to the junk that you came out of. And what he's referencing here, and the rest of this passage, we only cover a little bit of it, the rest of this passage gets very Jewish in its culture and context. So you observe days and feasts and months and this, right, seasons and years. It's, it's kind of like saying this. If you're a part of Generation you I think, already know this, but when we get together on Easter, like, we do that for the guest, right? We're not doing it for us. We celebrate the resurrection every Sunday. We're talking about it all morning this morning, right? So we make sure that we're more than inviting for those who would come and join us, right? For me, it's just another Sunday. Same content, same message, same Jesus, same gospel, right? 
New guests, we target. We just aim at that. We want to love them, and if they're looking for a home, a church, we'd love that. Same message, though, right? We don't go outside of what we normally do. We do worship. We pray. We get into the Bible. It's pretty simple, right? This is kind of the same idea. Imagine you thought, and we're, what, four weeks post-Easter, so it's probably not you, but imagine you thought going to church on Christmas and Easter was enough. You go there because you think, okay, that's my adherence to my faith. Like, somehow, this is what I do, right? That's what he's talking about. Like, you think that adherence to things makes you a Christian, gets you saved, makes you pleasing to God. So in a very Jewish context, he's teaching them that. Listen, you're going back to thinking you have to earn God's love. Verse 12, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also become as you are. He's saying, listen... If you remember Paul, he was like the top of the food chain for Jews. He was a religious zealot Jew. He says, I wish you could become as I am, for I also become as you are. In other words, I live like I wasn't Jewish. I live as a Christian. I live as a follower of Jesus. He says, you did me no wrong. Verse 13, you know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. This is to the northern Galatians. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. But then what has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if it possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. How then have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? So what's going on here is these other people have come in and they've started to spread a false gospel. They've started to change the message. And by changing the message, of course, what's happening is the church is saying, well, that's not what Paul said. And now, well, Paul's wrong. Paul misled you. Paul's a heretic, Paul's this, whatever, right? He's misleading us, so now there's this division in this church. And we know how that goes, we know, and, and we always talk about as a staff here, there is a zero-tolerance policy for gossip because this rips churches apart. And that's what's going on. He says, listen, you were for me. How is it now we're not on the same team? Well, because other people have come in and they've changed your mind. He said, listen, when I was there, I was sick, and you would have done anything for me. Verse 17, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. In other words, they're building you up. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I'm present with you. My little children, I love this line. My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. If I said my little children to you, I think today it probably sounds condescending. It's not what he's doing. He's like, you are my children. Yesterday, I, um, I spoke at a men's breakfast for Encounter Church. Most of you guys know Encounter and Bellflower, Pastor Mike. Uh, and he introduced me, although we're only like three years apart in age, he introduces me as his spiritual father. I led him to faith. I baptized him and his whole family, discipled him. He became a pastor at a different church with me. Now he's the lead pastor of another church down the street here. We partner together all the time. And that was his introduction. Like, if I looked at Mike and said, listen, my, my child, like, you're mine. Like, I talked that way to Vinny, too, Pastor Vinny. You guys know Pastor Vinny. Like, I love them. These are the guys I raised in the faith, and I'm so proud of where they've gone. And my prayers, they exceed what I ever do. They're like kids to me. Paul says, my little children, you're my church, my children, He says, who I'm again in the anguish of childbirth, like going through the pain 
of reestablishing you as followers of Jesus. Like in that, and again, if, and clearly I look like I'm pregnant, but I've never had a child myself, right? And so obviously there's a reference there. I get the concept from the outside. Don't need to go through it to figure it out, right? It's like the pain of childbirth again, he says. Longing for you to get it. Longing for you to kind of come back on board with Jesus and not try and be Jesus plus something else. He says, I long until Christ is formed in you. We'll put this on the screen. Christ formed in us. Paul's plea is that the church... I'm sorry. Let's start over. Ready? Paul's plea is that Christ's gospel work will mature and strengthen the church. We need to mature in Christ to get beyond what draws us away from our faith. I'm going to give an example for this in a minute that I think is the most common one. But Christ formed in us, right? The Spirit at work in us. Like we said, God ordains, Jesus accomplished, the Spirit applies. So Jesus has accomplished the work God set out. He's done what we are called to do. Now it's the job of the Spirit to apply that to us, to form Christ in us. Paul just earlier said, when I first got there, you treated me as an angel of God, as Christ himself. Like that's our job is to be Jesus to our community, to be Jesus to our neighbors, right? To put flesh on the gospel in our family, in our community, in our workplace, in our school, whatever it is. That's our job. So the spirit forms Christ in us. Something Alex said earlier as he was leading worship, or I, maybe it was when he was praying, Something to the effect of that God has given us the breath and we're just giving it back by worshiping. It was beautiful. And I just thought of uh, like David Brown who did uh, kind of did the announcements and stuff today or host, whatever you call that. He plays saxophone. And I just thought about that. Like the breath that goes through that sax because of who David is comes out on the other side beautiful. I would do the same thing. Not so much. We can try that anytime you want to. But... His breath, his shaping is music. And I saw that, I heard that this morning about worship. That he should form, that God should form Christ in us through the power of the Spirit in us, that we become Jesus to the world around us. Verse 20, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. So if you missed this already, he's been chewing him out a bit, right? He's been leaning in like, hey, feels like I waste my time with you. He says, I wish I could be with you, present, in the flesh. Right? Because there's something about being here that is special. We love that folks can join us online. But that doesn't take the place of being here. Paul is saying the same thing. I got a letter. I'll give you the same message. But I want to be with you. Right? That there are things that we do when when we're together that are different. He says, I want to be present with you. And I want to change my tone. I want to stop being on this side of the conversation. And I really want to be in a different place with you guys. For I am perplexed by you. As he leans into them, he does so and balances it with that love. My little children, I want to see Christ formed in you. And I want to be with you, but I can't be. I want to see Christ shape you, so I'm writing to you. So remember, there's this call to maturity. Ever since verse 1, 
where it said the heir, as long as his child, is no different than a slave, right? That way back here on the immature end of the spectrum, when we are brand new and young in our faith or simply immature in our faith, that it looks a lot like the world around us, that we look trapped by the same things. <clears throat> but as we grow, as we mature, as Christ is formed in us, we become distinct and different. And we begin to live in the same world with a whole different set of values. That we begin to be around all the same people, but we are living differently. The greatest witness for the gospel that I have is the transformed life that I live. For those that have known me for that long, that knew me back then, that are still around, that I still get to see, the message of a transformed life is powerful. <clears throat> so this call to maturity, I want to put this verse up for you, Hebrews 6.1. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward, toward God. I want you to stop trying to please God and recognize that you already please God, that, that Christ did all the work for you. And I want you to stop with this kind of hamster wheel cycle of sin, repentance, forgiveness, sin, repentance, forgiveness, sin. And it's like you get in this cycle and you run and run and run and run and run. Finally, you run out of gas, you stop, and it slings you off into a corner, right? You guys never had a hamster? That's the best part of owning a hamster. That might be the only good part of owning a hamster. But that just running and running and running and getting nowhere, that's what this is in our faith. Sin, guilt, repentance, forgiveness, sin, guilt, right? And here's what happens when we run out of gas. We end in shame, slung off to the other side. He says, I want you to mature. Stop worrying about pleasing God. Start worrying about fulfilling to do this and don't, do, don't worry about that. Surrender to the Spirit. Let Christ be formed in you. That'll change you. We've been saying it each week, like John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. It's easy. Don't worry about the obedience part. Worry about the loving Jesus part. Let that shape you. If I love you, I will be a good friend to you. If I love my wife, I'll be a good husband to her. Simple. I don't have to go figure out a set of rules. I don't have to measure whether or not I'm a good friend or a good husband today. I just got to love my wife. Verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? So the law versus maturity. We'll put this up. The scripture is a series, does contain a series of do's and don'ts that we either fail or succeed. But then we fall into a cycle, sin, shame, and repentance, rather than being freed in Christ. Yes, there is a way that governs this. It's like in marriage, like stay faithful to my wife. That makes super good sense, right? Don't cheat on your spouse. Don't say words you can't take back. Don't do this. I mean, like there is that, right? Remember her birthday. Good idea, right? <laughs> well, of course. But that doesn't make her love me. That's me loving her. Scripture is that guide. It does give us the shape of what it looks like to follow Jesus. But it doesn't give us a set of rules to go achieve that God might be pleased. It gives us the spirit that will lead us in that. 
Verse 22, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. If you're unfamiliar with the story, a man named Abraham, who is really kind of the father of faith in God, God calls him to leave where he is, his comfort, his family, and to go to a place that God will show him. And he says, and I will give you many descendants. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Here's the problem. He's old and his wife is old and they're past childbearing age. So over some time, their immaturity causes them to take that promise into their own hands. And they've got this young servant girl named Hagar. But Sarah, his wife, is past childbearing age. So they concoct the idea, hey, listen, let's go get her pregnant and that'll be our son. You know how that turns out. Not only between the marriage, but that doesn't fulfill what God said. That's not God doing it, that's them doing it. So God has to strip them of that, and then God has to fulfill it his way. So here's another note for you. Our effort versus maturity. Abraham lacked the maturity to wait on God and took things into his own hands. We must learn to live a spirit-empowered faith as God has designed. Rather than try and take everything into our hands and control everything our way and set up more rules and try really hard because that lands us back on that hamster wheel. But rather learning how to surrender to the spirit inside and let him shape Christ in us. Verse 23. But the son of the slave was born according to the flesh. Well, the son of the free woman was born through the promise. The son of the slave woman was not the fulfillment. The son of his wife who was past childbearing age, Sarah she gave us Isaac, the son of promise. And we want to live inside those promises of God. We want to live that life that is fulfilled in Christ. Sometimes we have to learn how to get out of the way. To let Christ be shaped in us by the very spirit of God. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. We are grateful for you. Heavenly Father, you set out before the beginning of time a plan to rescue us. And you did, and you have. For all of us here who are in Christ, you've done that. Brothers who are sitting here who, who may not follow you yet, may they hear that you love them and you have prepared a way. May they be drawn in to you. Jesus, you have created a new way to live, and it is countercultural. It is antithetical to the world that we live in. It is learning how to surrender to you, not how to try harder. Help us to learn that. We can't please God anymore. You've already done that for us. That in you, we are perfectly pleasing, even though we're a, a work in progress. Holy Spirit, let us learn how to hear your voice, your leading, your guidance, and how to surrender to you, not argue and fight with you. Jesus, you have said when we pray, because you have made us children of God, we can pray with the authority of your name. And so these prayers, we hold them up to you in your name. Amen.